true Christian fellowship, which are they're kind of big, big words, don't really mean all that much. True Christian fellowship. In fact, you could probably make it mean whatever you want. So let's make it a slightly more practical demonstration. I want you to, for a moment to think about the people in this room. Uh, you, you may need to have a look around to be reminded of who's in it. It's okay if you don't know everybody. In fact, if you're a visitor or new among us, a special welcome to you. But stop for a moment and think about the Christians that are around you in your life. Maybe it's not church. Maybe it's your Bible study group or a ministry team that you're part of or another church that you're part of. What might life look like for your life to be so connected to theirs that their success brings you joy? That affliction to them brings you fear? That them continuing in the faith is your concern? That their growth and maturity is what your prayers are filled with. We're talking tonight about true Christian fellowship. And more than anything, what I want to do is show you out of this passage a vision of the fellowship that Paul had with these Christians in Thessalonica. A vision that I hope will inspire us, that our lives and our relationships might be like these. Now I've got four points of the fellowship that they share, fellowship in the Word, is the first point. That is, Paul and these Christians are united in how they hear and respond to God's Word. Now pick it up with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. We also thank God continually because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it actually is the Word of God which is at work in you who believe. Paul preached. They heard and they believed. And yet it's strange that what Paul describes himself as preaching is not the words of men. Presumably Paul spoke them. But they received them not as the words of men, but as the word of God. Now, come back to Acts chapter 17. Keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians 2. Come back to Acts 17, the first Bible reading we had. Have a listen to what it is that Paul preached to them. What are these words that aren't human words, but are God's word? Acts chapter 17, page 1075, if you're looking in a pew Bible. Okay, so Paul and his merry band of brothers, perhaps they weren't that merry by then, they'd just been kicked out of Philippi, but they're travelling along and they come to Thessalonica and then, verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So for three weeks, right, he went along to the Jewish synagogue and he spoke to them from their Scriptures, explaining, verse 3, and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, so far, he's just doing Jewish teaching. (laughs) He's going to the Old Testament, their book, and he's teaching them that the king that they're waiting for is going to suffer and die. And you can imagine them sitting there going, you're nuts. (laughs) The king that we're waiting for, the one who's going to rule God's people, in fact, the one who's going to rule the whole world, is going to suffer and die? Well, suffer and die and rise from the dead. And so Paul spoke this Jesus 
I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now, that's all that we have recorded of what Paul spoke to the Thessalonians. That's it. That is the message that is the word of God. Now, I take it that Paul spoke more words than those that are written down. It would have been a pretty boring sermon if for three weeks all he repeated was that one sentence, right? This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And then he sat down again. Maybe that's the best sermon you've ever heard. I don't know. It'd take all of five seconds. And yet it's strange that Paul can say, the message you heard from us, even though it's not directly scripture, is still the word of God. Now stop and reflect on that for a moment. The very word of the Lord God Almighty, the one whose word created everything, the one whose word moment by moment sustains everything, the one whose word, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, is sharper than any double-edged sword and pierces to joint and marrow and exposes the very soul of mankind. And you and I get to speak that word. To be, as, God, as Paul speaks of Timothy, God's fellow workers. I mean, clearly what is in here is the word of God. Clearly we hold that scripture is the word of God. And yet as we speak in line with scripture, as we speak in line with the gospel, the proclamation of Jesus as the risen king, we too participate in speaking the very word of God. Now come back to 1 Thessalonians. The fellowship that Paul shared with these brothers and sisters was first of all in the word of God, in how they heard it and accepted it and received it. But it wasn't just that they heard it once and that was it. Did you notice that little phrase at the end of verse 13? Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13, right? You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. It's the same word that brought them from unbelief into belief. That same word is at work in them to make them mature Christians. The same word that does the work in us. We never move on. I hope you never find yourself sitting there thinking, ah, yeah, I heard that before. I I I already know it all. I, I heard a sermon on that passage just last week. I mean, what's... It's the same word that builds us up. It's the same word that grows us. There's lots of pressure on us to do other things. It's funny that we start with kind of the word and then we think, well, maybe now I need to move on and I need to do the training course. I need to read the book. I need to go and get equipped with these mad skills. But it's still the word that grows us. I was at a lunch once. Uh, Edwina, my wife, when we were kind of first married, was working as a receptionist at a surgery in Bondi Junction. And, uh, and they used to put on these Christmas uh, lunch kind of things and right, eastern suburbs, a lot of cash. They were, they were good lunches, so I made sure I got an invite, right? And so I rock up to this one and I'm sitting next to the, the practice manager. And so we were sitting there for a while. At that stage, I was doing my ministry apprenticeship. I was a trainee at a church. Made it really easy to get talking about God. Oh, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm, I'm learning to be a pastor at a church. Ah, oh, oh, okay. Um, all right, well, let's go and we talk about it. Anyway, so this lady was really interested in church and how many people come. And well, I think she, was, she thought it was a little social club and there was a couple of hundred of us at that point. She goes, oh, that's, 
you know what you need to do? you know how you're going to get more people? You need to run yoga classes. You put on yoga classes and everyone's going to come. Your church will just burst. And you know what? She was right. We could have put on yoga classes. We would have had all sorts of eastern suburbs, hippies right in their latte mochaccinos or whatever it is, and their latex and doing these ones and yoga and all the rest of it. But, but what's the point? <laughs> I don't know. I just, well, okay, clearly you're the one who wears it doing yoga, right? I don't know what you do when you're doing that, kid. And we would have filled the church. But what's the point? It's the word that builds. It's the word that keeps working in us to grow us. It's the word that Paul and the Thessalonians had fellowship in. Is that what you want for your brothers and sisters in Christ? When you think about them and you go, I really want them to grow and mature in Jesus, what I need to do is partner with them in hearing and responding to the Word of God. Is that what you think? Very easy to get caught up in all sorts of other fun. Partnership in the Word, first of all. Secondly, Paul's partnership with the Thessalonians was in suffering. They were united in facing affliction and opposition. How did Paul know that the Thessalonians received the word that he had preached as the word of God? He was only there three weeks. I mean, he he presumably had some conversations with some of them, but he didn't have a lot of opportunity to to sit down and do a spiritual health check with every one of them, right? Ask them the the evangelism explosion question. If you die tonight, are you sure you're going to go to heaven, right? Why should God let you? He, He just wouldn't have had time to do that with them. How did he know that they received this as the word of God? Have a look, verse 14, well, 13, right? You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. For you became imitators of God's churches. That is, Paul knew that they accepted God's word as God's word because they became like all the other Christians. And what did it mean to become like all the other Christians? You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. How did Paul know that they were truly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ means to suffer. To be one of God's people is to be persecuted. Affliction is the business that we're in. It's a slightly different gospel, isn't it? It's a slightly different message. I don't know what you're like whenever you tell someone about Jesus. I I much prefer to, right, Jesus, he he brings life to the full. (laughs) Jesus brings with him a, a whole host of benefits, right? Problems solved, lives turned around, people brought out of darkness. and And all of this is true. But what did Jesus say? You want to be one of my followers, do you? Well, then take up your cross and follow me. Come and join me in the path to death. It's what Jesus preached. John chapter 15. Write it down, look it up later. Or come if you're really quick. John 15, 18. uh, Jesus said this. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you 
out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Down at the start of verse 16. All this I've told you so that you won't go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. I mean, it's so appropriate that today we prayed for Yemen, a country where if you convert to follow Jesus, you may well face execution in the name of God. You cannot be a wimp and a Christian. You just can't. The world hates us. Oh, we, li- we live in a very polite society. They're very good at masking it. But the thing is, the one that they hate is Jesus. And they can't get to him anymore. I love that picture Matt Payne used late last year of that massive body that we're all part of. And Jesus is the head and we all kind of make up all the bits of the body together. But the head is now in heaven. It's the head that people hate. It's Jesus that people hate. But they can't get to him anymore. So what are they going to do? They're going to beat up the body. That's us. They hated him enough to kill him. They will hate us too. Now I have a fear about this affliction and the fact that I think few of us face it. But we'll come back to that in a while. Paul has fellowship with the Thessalonians in the word. He has fellowship with them in suffering. And that suffering brings with it a great fear for Paul. It's not fear of pain. I mean, that's just normal fear. Everyone's got that. That's not what this fellowship brings. It's fear that those that we love might not endure. That the opposition, that the affliction, that the suffering might just become too much. That Satan somehow might find the way of dragging you away from Jesus. That you might get to a point where you just say, you know what, it's not worth it. (laughs) I mean, before I was a Christian, life was kind of easy, right? My family, they loved me. We were good. My kids enjoyed school. They had a good time. Business life was okay. I got promotions. I got ahead. And then I took up following Jesus. And now my family won't speak to me. My kids are getting bullied at school because they keep talking about this risen king business. And you know what? There's no way I'm ever getting any further in my career because three times now the boss has asked me to do the dodge and I've said no to him. It's just too hard. It brings with it that fear. Paul is so deeply concerned for them. Listen to his language, verse 17. Brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. We wanted to come to see you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. Satan stopped us. Jump down to chapter 3 and verse 5. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts been useless. Only three weeks he was there with them. And yet the adversity that they faced together cemented their relationship such that Paul is distraught 
at the thought that somehow Satan would have done enough to take them away from Jesus. That somehow the affliction just grew too much and they packed it in. You can't love someone without being anxious for them. I mean, if you're a parent, you know that. If you're not a parent, I suspect you know it too, in some ways. But you know that feeling, your little, your little one, I'm talking to parents in particular here, if you're not a parent, just accept my reality. This, they're just so fragile and little. And you're just sending them out into this big, bad, scary world. You know, what's what's going to happen to my poor little thing? You can't love somebody without being anxious. Sophia is my eldest. Uh, she just finished her first week of school this week. There you go, one down and uh, 519 to go. But who's counting, eh? Uh, and she finished his first week of school and she had a great week. She's a good kid. She behaved well. There's another kid in her class who's, uh, who is the child of someone at school, so I won't name them, but they're, they're a bit louder, a bit noisier, a little bit uh, naughtier, shall we say, in the class. And so the teacher said to this kid, who shall remain nameless, well, you need to go and sit next to Sophia because she is the most beautiful kid in our school. Now, isn't that lovely? That's just a proud moment as a parent. But you know what? I don't care. That's not what I'm anxious about for her. I don't care for her to be the really good one in class or the naughty one in class. I don't care for her to go whether she gets a 99.375 or whatever it is you can get these days in your ATAR or a smiley face. I don't care if she ends up being a doctor or a garbage woman. I, that's not what I'm anxious for. Do you know what I'm anxious for? That that precious little seedling of faith that's just blossoming in her would somehow be squashed and pulled out by the roots. That somehow the opposition that she is going to face, I mean, they're kindy now and they're nice to each other, give her a couple more years, would not take her away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your concern for your brothers and your sisters? That despite the opposition, that despite the affliction, that despite whatever comes in life, they would still stand strong in the Lord Jesus. Paul had fellowship with them in the word. He had fellowship with them in suffering. Thirdly, he had fellowship with them in joy. See, Paul was so concerned for them to endure till the end because his joy was tied up in them. Have a listen to this description again, verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. What a beautiful thing. What is our eternal reward? When we get into heaven, Jesus comes back and takes us there. What's the thing that we're going to stand in front of and go, yes, it's you. It's to see you there. The eternal reward of those that we've ministered to and shared God's word with, enduring to the end and persevering into eternity. We can do so many good things in this world. You, uh, you might be a doctor, right? You're one of those people who can cut other people up and fix things and then put it back together and it all works properly. Uh, that, that's amazing. 
You might be an engineer and you can build astonishing structures. And I mean, you just, it really should collapse, but you've calculated it and it's not going to. Right? I mean, I, I feel a bit like a yokel when I walk through the CBD still. I just kind of walk around going, right? The buildings and the majesty. And anyway, you can do all sorts of good work in whatever your job is, whatever your sphere, right? The artist creating great beauty. You, but you know what? It's all going to burn. I mean, good on you, it's good work, but it's, it's only going to last so long. The person that you've healed is still going to decay and die. The building is going to get torn down by the trees sooner or later if Jesus doesn't come back. The piece of art is going to get defaced with a smiley face or a moustache. Like, it's just, what's going to endure but people? What is that work compared to the Sunday school lesson that you taught? That scripture lesson with that little kid and you taught them that and you didn't even know that they became Christian and you get to heaven and there they are standing before you. Thank you for teaching me when I was in year five because that seed became the plant of my faith. What is that work compared to the conversation with your children, your parents, your siblings to say, come and meet the Lord Jesus with your neighbor that one time that you got to finally build up the courage and tell them about Jesus. And there they are in eternity with you. What joy. Listen to it again, Paul's description, chapter 3, verse 6. So concerned he was. But Timothy has just now come to us from you. He's brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us. You long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Oh, to have that heart. <laughs> To say, oh, now I live because you are standing firm. To walk into church each week, concerned, distraught, is my brother and sister here? Have they stood firm this week? Has the opposition gotten too much? You're here. Oh, please tell me you're standing strong in Jesus. Yes. To come to Bible study, concerned for the members of your group, have you stood firm this week? Are you standing strong for Jesus? Has it gotten too much for you? No, it hasn't. You're... Oh, good. Now I live. <laughs> I love bumping into my old youth group members. I mean, it's been 12 years since I last led youth group now, but they're growing up, they're getting married, they're having their own kids, a bunch of them are going into ministry. I love bumping into them at conferences and weddings and wherever it is. You know, just, are you standing strong in Jesus still? Yes. It just gives me so much joy. Right, I'm, I'm part of this little church plant in Hornsby, one guy was telling me last weekend. It's struggling. You wouldn't have thought it, but there aren't really any good churches in Hornsby. Who would figure? And so we went and started one, and there's a few of us, and we're trying really hard to reach out for the gospel. We've gone to Canberra, another one says. Part of the civil service. We've got to get in there. There's so few Christians. We need to work in there from within. Is your joy tied up with seeing your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ standing firm? looking forward to that reward of eternity, of seeing them there. Well, Paul's fellowship was in the word, was in suffering, was in joy. Fourthly, it was in prayer. See, his joy and his concern turn Paul to the Lord God Almighty. There's three parts, really. The first one, thanks, verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you? 
in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for these people that I get to minister. Thank, thank you, God, for these people I get to minister to. And I hope you thank him for the people in your ministry teams, and your Bible study groups, and your friends at church, and those people you meet, and everybody that you get to minister to with the word of God. Secondly, his prayer is that he wants to spend time with them. Right? Verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. May our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. You can't help but want to spend time with the people you love. I don't know if you remember those days, if you've ever been in, in the giddy heights of love, limerence, when you fall for that person and you just can't wait to see them again. Right? You get invited to a party and you're like, oh, I don't know that I really want to go. And then you see the invite list and they're going. You're like, oh, I want to go now. And you get there and they're like, oh, they're not coming. You're like, all right, well, bye. I'm, all right, there's no... And you're there and they walk in and they walk past you and you're like, yes. And they don't even know you exist, right? But it, does, it doesn't matter. You just want to be where they are. You're like, is that their car? That's, that's their car. That's, I'm gonna, hey, hey, ah, you stopped at the lights, but hello, right? That's just... I'm not saying you can go and fall in love with all the people at church, right? That's not... Or am I? I mean, maybe there is an element of that. That profound love that wants to spend time, wants to see good for others. In fact, that's the third part of his prayer. But he wants to be with them, before we get there, he wants to be with them not just to hang out and have a good time. We can do that. We can hang out and have... I went to Speedway last night. It was awesome. I'll tell you all about it later if you want. We'll have a blast together. But what he wants to go for is supply what is lacking in your faith. Their fellowship is in the Word. Our fellowship with one another ought to be, I want to be with you so that I can help you and feed you and grow you and build you with the Word of God. Not just hang out and have fun. Solitary Christianity... I mean, you ever met somebody who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Me, me and God have got our thing. But I don't do other Christians. I don't go to church. I don't... You ever met someone like that? Solitary Christianity, impersonal, churchless Christianity is just plain nonsense. You cannot be a Christian. For genuine Christianity always, always brings into relationship with God. And God brings us into relationship with one another. If you ever find yourself going through life alone, then please stop and rethink. Pray this kind of prayer. God, just bring God's people to me. And so thirdly then, Paul prays that they would be strengthened, overflowing with love. Verse 12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts that you'll be blameless and holy, in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. What a great prayer. See, all of this, all of this fellowship really in the end comes out of love. I mean, we can say, well, that's Paul, right? This, this amazing picture of this fellowship, this deep-seated love. Of course, he's, he's like the super dude, right? He only spent three weeks with them and he's got this massive, massive love for them. Who can do that? Well... Jesus, <laughs> that's his love. And in fact, Jesus said to his followers, by this will the world know you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
if you love one another, strengthened to be blameless and holy. I'd love for this to be our prayer, not, not in a trite way, right, but genuinely to own it, to take hold of it, to seek desperately that God would transform us to love one another, <laughs> that this fellowship would just flow out of that love. This isn't a go and do sermon, this is a go and feel Go and learn to love your brothers and sisters in Christ and the doing will flow from that. Well, Paul had fellowship with the Thessalonians. He had fellowship in the Word, hearing and responding rightly. He had fellowship with them in suffering. I want to pause for a moment and just reflect briefly on that. I want you to think about your life for a moment. Do you face affliction because of the Lord Jesus? Do people mock you? And laugh at you. And make life hard for you. I mean, that's about as far as we get. We don't have the fear of death and jail and all the rest of it, right? But Now, if it is true and that does happen to you, then you are the people we need to stand with. Side by side, we're with you. Fellowship in suffering together. Concerned for you that you will stand strong, seeking to feed you with the word, that you'll make it to the end. But I fear that many of us don't. I wonder why. Could it be that we've just gone quiet about Jesus? That the tempter has found the way to tempt us? I mean, so much easier. You know, every, every time I bring Jesus up, you know, it's just... They just get narky with me. I just, we just don't talk about that anymore because it always causes conflict. Anytime I bring up Jesus, like, oh, you God bother, are you talking about religion again? And, and it, just, it just gets uncomfortable. So I just don't talk about it anymore, right? My boss has told me, look, let's, don't, don't bring that up. Don't, politics and religion, don't, let's just not go there, right? It's just, my kids are sick of me talking about it. My family don't want to hear about it. My, it's, it's just easier to not talk about Jesus. <laughs> you cannot be a wimp and a Christian. The fact that somebody is going to get narky at you because you talked about Jesus, the fact that somebody doesn't like it, or even worse, gets angry at you, is not a reason to stop. They need to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their eternity rests upon it. Maybe, maybe you're the kind of person who's just always waiting for better opportunities. You know what it's like. The conversation comes up around the water cooler. Does anyone even have water coolers anymore? I don't know why we talk about that. Usually lunchtime, right? That's when we had conversations. The conversation happens around the microwave, not around the water cooler. It's like, you got yours on for two and a half minutes, so we've got two and a half minutes before I can put mine in, so let's have a chat, right? And, and, the, and we, I don't know what we start talking about, death. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder if I could talk about Jesus now that we're talking about death. No, I'll wait for a better opportunity. <laughs> when they bring up the Trinity, then we'll talk about Jesus. Right? I mean, that's, that's not going to happen, right? But we've gotten so good at waiting for the better opportunity that we're really good at waiting for the better opportunity and we've kind of forgotten how to make opportunities and take opportunities. Worth reflecting on. If the followers of Jesus should expect persecution because of their master, and we are not, it's worth reflecting. 
Paul's fellowship with them was in suffering. His fellowship with them was in joy, standing strong, looking to that eternal reward. And his fellowship was in prayer for unity, for strength, for love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for this one man, Paul, and this church in Thessalonica, and for this just beautiful picture of the fellowship that they shared. Please give us hearts like Paul's. Fill us with the love of your Son, that it would flow out into love for one another. Teach us to desperately be concerned for the salvation and the endurance and the perseverance through affliction of our brothers and sisters. Teach us to live out that concern in fellowship around your word together and give us, please, the joy of seeing one another stand strong into eternity. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.